So across the last several thousand years, there's been a, quite an alarming just kind of genetic trend. And the genetic trend as a species has been warring tribes come onto each other. And the first thing they do is they round up the intellectuals, they round up the spiritual, they round up the people who are really at the vanguard of culture and kill them. And so I think one of the things that I see is a hybridization, if you will, of a humanity that has actually been trained not to open to its higher purpose. And it's been encouraged not to with the narratives that we tell each other. So what I see we are is I see we are a lot of sleeping potential. And I see my purpose, very specifically, as being an alarm clock in that universe to say, hey, let's wake up to our full potential. Let's wake up to who we can be. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. Welcome to ATP Radio. I'm your host, Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, showing you how to accentuate the positive, the way to a better life. Your radio is an example of the future existing right now. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do with Kara and accentuating the positive and Kaya is in the house. Good morning, honey. Hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm very good. Kaya Finlayson, who is a filmmaker and director, and he's just about to launch his doco next weekend at the Randwick Ritz called Future Dreamings. So what are your dreams for the future for planet Earth? Not just your own personal future, but how do you see us as a society, as an Earth, as a planet moving forward in the future? It's a big question many have asked, really. I don't know. Some people don't even think about it. They just think about what's for dinner. But uh, <laughs> but it's a, it's an interesting question. And I've got Kaya Finlayson, I have to say, with it's a Scottish name, a Scottish <laughs> accent in the studio. And we're going to chat to Kaya. He's just made a documentary, a first documentary, he tells me, called Future Dreaming. Good morning, honey. Hi, Karen. How are you? So tell me, how did it start? Now, I know that you were at the beginning of the year, it was January, wasn't it? January, yep. There was you and about 150 entrepreneurs. 106 entrepreneurs. 106 entrepreneurs that went down to Antarctica to play on the ice. 106 entrepreneurs on a boat in Antarctica. And when I, I was asked, I was commissioned to do a video about the process down there. So I thought there'd be all old men in suits and I was a little <laughs> bit like, yeah, whatever. But extraordinary group of people, um, young people, older people, startups, incredibly inspiring people. So I had a wonderful time down there. But the most extraordinary person was a, a man that I met actually on the boat, um, Dr. David Martin. And um, one day we just, I asked David, I said, David, we're about to go to a penguin colony. Would you like me to have a conversation with you? And he said, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> In front of the penguin colony. Oh, the penguins were awesome. <laughs> we kind of parked ourselves, the camera, the microphone and David on a rock right in the middle of the, the kind of penguin highway, they call it. And the penguins were a little bit put out, but um, I think the three-hour interview was worth it. And tell me, what does David Martin do? Who is Dr. David Martin? David's very hard to pin down. He's very much, I would say, very much a renaissance man. He works in high finance. He works in human potential 
Um, but his passion really is about um, societal change, system change. He's, he's an extraordinary human being. He came onto the planet fully awakened, fully aware of what's going on, and hence able to critique the systems that were set up, the kind of narratives, the stories that are driving this society. So one of my passions has been, uh, you know, the GFC and, and, and Adam Smith and the idea of um, self-interest. Do we as a society still, is it, is it appropriate for us as a society to live with the idea of self-interest, you know, that let that drive our economic system? Mm. And when I got down to Antarctica, I asked David about, do you know Adam Smith? What do you think about Adam Smith? It just turned out that he'd actually written a thesis on Adam Smith and he thought Adam Smith was the, the biggest fool in the world. And, he, and basically David's <laughs> ideas is that it's time that all of the ideas such as from Adam Smith were appropriate for the industrial age, but we've moved on. It's time for new ideas for a new society. Mm-hmm. So do you believe that the global financial crisis happened as a part of that shift in thinking? Well, it's very interesting. Adam Smith came up with the idea of self-interest. If we all follow our self-interest, we'll have the perfect society. So like greed is good. Greed is good. but And so the reality is the Wall Street bankers were just following their self-interest. So yeah. how can we actually put them in jail for it? They were doing what our society, what our stories in our society tells them to do to go for the self-interest. So my view is it's not so much that they did anything wrong, they were doing what they were told to do. What really is wrong is the narratives that we're telling ourselves. Is it really appropriate for all of us to follow our self-interest or is it time for us to think about the global interest, the universal interest, what's important for us as a whole rather than always this obsession about what's important for the individual. So did anyone put the bankers in jail? I don't think anyone did. Didn't none they bail the bank- them out? None of the bankers have been put in jail. The only, the only jail terms that came out of the global financial crisis was, was kind of poor people and middle class people that Absolutely. lost their homes. Absolutely. And the crime and everything that was developed out of that. So I, I've been passionate about it for years, about the, the, the problems in our economic system. I don't think our economic system takes the human being into account. It takes, it's a systematic thing. It takes profits into account. It takes a whole lot of um, processes into account, but it doesn't take the human being itself into account. And I think we need to, to focus back on the human being and what's important for humans rather than just what's important for this, this system. Mm, interesting, interesting. So the documentary is a product of your conversation with David in Antarctica. Yeah, we, we got on a Zodiac, those little boats, and we zoomed across the water, um, we kind of made our way through the penguins, and, and then we, we sat down. And my intention was to, I, I felt like I'd met a man who really understood humanity. And I thought that was a unique, I mean, I've been for the last 40 years trying to understand humanity. <laughs> I humanity like I, or yourself? <laughs> both. <laughs> Maybe really, if you understand yourself, you'll understand humanity. That's extremely true. <laughs> but what, I, what I, I was very curious, from about the age of 17, I was very curious, of how did humanity get here? How do we get to a point where it's okay to go to war? How do we get to That's a, point, a good question. How do we get to a point where it's okay for children to starve? How can we as a humanity feel okay about that? And how do we get to that point? So when I got on the penguin colony, I had three, had one, in, and in t- my intention was to, to ask David how humanity got to where we are, where are we, and where are we going? So that was the kind of the course of the questions. It followed this, this beautiful beginning, middle, and end arc about humanity. Yeah, and solutions, outcome? And solutions, yes, absolutely. 
the essence of what David's message is is that we can't create another system. You know, we spent the 20th century creating systems. We've got capitalism, communism, fascism, every kind of system that could possibly exist. <laughs> Say them again, capitalism, we, communism, fascism. <laughs> environmentalism. Every, environmentalism. Every system that could possibly exist, mm-hmm. we did it in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And it didn't change anything. Mm-hmm. We, we, we kind of, in a way, we've gone worse in, in that period of time. What David's point is, is that humans feel separate from the, the nature around us, from, from the, the earth and, and the nature that surrounds us. And the solution is not to try and create systems that to deal with this separateness, but to actually turn back to nature and look at how does nature do things. And once you start looking at nature, what you'll very quickly start to understand is that nature doesn't individualize. Nature's not focused on the self and, and what can I do to benefit the self. Nature's focused on the benefit of the whole. So when a, when a flower, for example, opens up in a forest, it's not obsessed about itself and its own journey. What it's doing is it's just, it's just like maximizing the beauty of, of flowerness, for example. And in doing that, the insects and the hummingbirds and, and the kind of the, the organisms in the forest will engage with that flower and that flower will engage with it. What the flower is looking for is not so much what its personal life is all about, it's just looking to express life itself and in doing that it benefits the whole. If you look at human society, what we're doing with our self-interest, our greed, our focus on putting ourselves forward, we're always focused on the individual and that always causes a dissatisfaction, it always causes a restlessness, it always causes an unhappiness. There is a consciousness that human beings can get to where instead of focusing on the individual, we feel connected to the whole. And when you move into that consciousness, you start to become extremely happy with very little and you start to feel connected to a greater humanity. And essentially that's what David's message is. Mm. We focus on nature, we start to become a different and, and a far greater humanity. Mm, feel connected. Oh, look, all the conversations I have on this show are usually about that sense of connection because when you feel connected, you want to be of service because what you do for another, you do for yourself and vice versa. And, um, and when you are living in that sense of connection and service, you're fulfilled. You're happy. You're happy. I know. (laughs) We're all doing it for the happy, aren't we? It's like, I want the money for the happy. I want the love for the happy. I want this job satisfaction for the happy. Go for the happy. It's such a simple thing, really, but it's so... Until people have a a genuine experience of that, until people can walk around, you know, watch a sunset come up and feel connected, not only to the sun, but to the beach and the waves and everything around it, until you feel that connection, it's hard to understand that there's a better way to live rather than always focusing on the self. Mm, mm. Um, But, yeah, there Mm. is. (laughs) Oh, look, it's a big conversation. I could talk about this all day. But what I want to hear, you know, what went down in in Antarctica and uh, what you discovered there, what you saw, people that you met. And also I want to quiz you about your journey. Having a discussion with Kaya Finlayson in the studio today about the future Earth. He's releasing his first documentary next week, actually, at the Ritz in Randwick, 7 to 9 p.m., called Future Dreaming. It's a documentary about the future of humanity and the future of the planet, an interview with Dr. David Martin, who sounds like an extraordinary man, absolutely extraordinary man, hangs out with a lot of Indigenous people, travels the globe. He's a businessman. He's a spiritual man. He's an entrepreneur. He's, I don't know, he's a million things. And he's an American. And he's going to be there for Q&A. 
Yeah, it's it's extraordinary, David. I asked David in the interview. I I asked him, "Where do you get your information?" Because I suppose I have the idea that you there's two ways of getting information. You can either get knowledge, you can go to libraries, you can go on the net, and you can study things, and you can get information that's knowledge, or you can get inspiration. The mm-hmm. information can come to you as an internal thing. And he just looked at me and said, "Kaya, I've never fallen asleep. I came into this planet awake. I remember how I got here." onto the planet. I remember the process of getting onto the planet and I know why I'm on the planet. And so, of course, I asked him why. And, of course, his process is to awaken people. So he's here to help awaken humanity. And this film is is really the starting point for that in terms of, you know, David's been working in um, doing his own thing, working in different businesses around the the globe, but now it's time for him to come into a more public persona. And this film's the starting point for that. But let me just ask you, what's your definition of being awake for those people that are maybe not familiar with that terminology? Yeah, my own definition is I believe that our experience of reality is filtered by the mind. So the human mind is a consciousness and it filters our experience of reality. So, for example, if you see a tree, what the human mind will do, it will categorize what that tree is. It will make a judgment about it. Mm-hmm. And it's sent, in a sense, it separates you from the experience of trees. If you're an indigenous person, you don't have that separation. You experience the tree and yourself as one. You well, I don't know about all indigenous people, but definitely that is a part of their culture. But many of them have fallen asleep, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Well, let's, I'm, I suppose I'm saying indigenous through indigenous mythology or mythology, the stories that, uh-huh, that uh-huh. the indigenous people told themselves yeah. and experienced. So their experience of a tree is that the tree and themselves are one. Mm. They can experience the essence of that tree. And there's a lot of um, Western people now who are having the same experience. They don't experience the world as separate than from themselves. They experience themselves as intimately connected to the world. Mm. And that creates, the beautiful thing about that is firstly, it's a beautiful feeling. You never feel alone. Mm. You feel just this expansiveness. Mm. But you also feel a sense of purpose because why go into conflict with anything outside if that is essentially a part of who you are? Mm. You, you immediately can step out of that conflict and you can also step out of the whole issue around greed and the whole issue of fear mm. because you feel connected to everything. Mm. So where could you go where there'd be a problem? Who would you be without your fear? It's interesting because I've been interviewing a lot of people who have had near-death NDEs and near-death experiences lately and it's so interesting when you're dead, you're more awake than when you're alive. <laughs> when you're asleep, you're more awake than when you're awake. But And I interviewed a, a woman called Nancy Rines who was a skeptic and a doctor and a scientist. And she was hit by a truck last year while she was riding her bike. And in her surgery, she died and had this experience. And I asked her what she noticed that was similar when she'd written, she wrote a book about it. And then I said, did you look at other people's experiences before or after? She said, no, I didn't want to be influenced by other people's. So I wrote my book and then I looked and I said, what was the similar? And she said, well, there was this energy that we all experienced as we were looking upon a landscape, for instance, that, um, and it's exactly what you're talking about, this energy of connection, like the the tree was alive and, and it's part of me the mountain was alive and it's part of me and and from that perspective from broader perspective or when you're dead for a better word you know she could see that energy running as 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 if you could see electricity running you know through cables she could see it embodied in everything around her so it was really interesting (laughs) 
you know, you don't have to die to be able to perceive this stuff. It's very interesting in humanity because that's the dominant experience of humanity over tens of thousands of years, until recently, to be honest. And what I think, and we talk about this in the film, Future Dreaming, we talk about the narratives that people tell each other. So in Western society, we've told each other the narrative that man has dominion over nature. Mm. That's a story that's been going around for thousands of years and it was really accentuated in the industrial age when nature, during the industrial age, Adam Smith gave nature, categorised nature of having zero value. Nature has no intrinsic value at all. And by giving nature no value whatsoever, it almost gave humans permission to abuse nature. We feel comfortable tearing down forests. We feel comfortable ripping um, mining you know, minerals and, and gold and all sorts of things out of the ground because within our economic system, nature has no intrinsic value. Other cultures have had a very different attitude to the, their surroundings. Mm. So most of the indigenous cultures around the world have looked at nature as the mother, the nurturer. Yeah. Have looked at, they've told stories of the connectivity between themselves and nature. And when you start telling those kind of stories as a society, you have a very different relationship with nature and you do very different actions. Yeah. You don't destroy, you don't degrade. You always are looking to work in some kind of sustainable way. Look, nature serves us in so many ways. Not only, you know, gives us the ability to be alive, to live here on this planet, but if you're feeling stressed, like some something that Nancy said too when she was going through a lot of stress was like, you know, her church is nature when she needed to chill, when she needed to find that place of centre, just go for a walk, go for a walk, be by, be by the beach. I mean, it just gives, it brings you back to yourself. I interviewed the boys last year about the Unstoppables, which is what you were a part of in Antarctica. And I asked Julio and uh, Chad Zani at the time, who was, who was heading it, why they picked Antarctica. And uh, Chad said it, it's that rawness of nature out there it's that wilderness in such an extreme extreme circumstances it's not desert it's snow you know and they really wanted to experience because again coming back to that connection they wanted people to feel that connection is that what you experienced when you were down there look i didn't have massive expectations about antarctica for me it was just another place but i was so wrong right an incredible place yeah absolutely incredible it's incredible to to go to somewhere where human beings aren't dominating, for example. Right. Um, you, you land on a beach, you don't see Coke cans, you don't see footprints, you don't see areas that have been obviously carved up and, and transformed. You see nature. And it's also, <laughs> what's an, another extraordinary thing about Antarctica is um, the animals, like the penguins, for example, do not give a damn about human beings. <laughs> they just... <laughs> They just wander past. They completely ignore you. And as a human... But they're not, they're not afraid of you. They're not afraid whatsoever. Mm. Occasionally they look at you like, what the hell are you doing here? But seriously, they just don't care. And it's so nice as a human being to not have some kind of effect on the animals around us, have, not have them running away in, in, in kind of fear. Yeah, that, that'd be extraordinary. Oh, every, it'd be an amazing place. Every time I got onto one of those Zodiacs, I had this horror, this incredibly massive smile on the face my face is kind of dumb grin because no it was just an extraordinary place and extraordinary people as i said starting off with in fact it gave me so much um faith in the future of humanity because mainly because of the young people 
One thing Julio did extremely well was he got the right people under that boat. He got a lot of very, very experienced businessmen, a lot of very interesting businessmen with great ideas, but he also got a lot of young people in. And these, I'm talking about under 25s. Yeah. So one girl, for example, Paris, uh, Raina, she set up a climate change website when she was 12 and she now travels. She's 19 now. She travels around the world talking She's about 19. climate change. Wow. And what I discovered about, I, what I saw on the boat was this sense of generational change. You have this group of young people that have incredible ideas. They're open to the whole planet. They've got, through social media, they can talk to anyone on the planet they want to talk to, but they also have technology. Yeah. So anything they want to do, they don't just think about it, they do it. And through that, they can disrupt any industry and they can um, establish themselves. And, and the kind of the values that are driving them are values like collaborating, connection, making things happen, making a difference. These are great values to have. But the beautiful, I almost felt like they're, they're like the 60s generation where the 60s generation came in with amazing ideas. But this generation have not only amazing ideas, they've got the technology to make it happen. And these are the kids that are going to change the world. Yeah, for sure. Oh, look, absolutely, for sure. You know, I often think about the 60s generation because I was born in that era. <laughs> and uh, so I wasn't participating in the flower, but, you know, the flower power, but I was, well, I was a bit young to observe it, but I observed it after it happened in the 70s, I suppose. But um and then I thought, what happened to all those ideals? You know, they got married, they got a job, they forgot about all that. Like, what happened to those people? I mean, some of them stayed hippies. <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting. A lot of the, the tech industry was started by old hippies, including Apple. I mean, Steve Jobs yeah, is a hippie, for, sure. for God's sake. For he, sure. he was a Buddhist. He went all around the world. He did all this. So that incredible thought processes um, that were, were kind of channeling around in the 70s that started a new industry, a new technology industry that I think is the industry that will change the world. Um, so maybe the hippie stuff stayed around maybe just enough. Still out there making a difference. The way you're talking, it's like we imprisoned ourselves in an idea. Yes, we did. What I think we've done is I think we've become our own slaves. And I think we've shackled ourselves with the cunning use of language. I think what we've done is we've built the epistemology of the oppressed. And what we've done in that epistemology is we've built this framework that says, let's use words that reinforce the catechism that says that we, in fact, are trapped. Because obviously, we're not trapping ourselves. But the language we use, and the terms that we use, and the experiences that we manufacture, in fact, reinforce the very illusion that is one of separation, one of indenture, and we don't have the language to talk about what it would be to live in a world where the fullness of potential is actually always being called forth. We've been talking to Kaya Finlayson who's uh, made a documentary. Oh, we've got a, some tickets to give away to next, next week's premiere of the documentary at the Ritz in uh, Randwick called Future Dreaming, which is an interview with Dr. David Martin and uh, fabulous footage of Antarctica and where else? 
Kaya, where else did you film? No, no, it's all done in Antarctica. It's all done in so Antarctica. Everything's in Antarctica. So we, um, yeah, there's just beautiful shots of uh, penguins, whales, uh, boats flying through, um, icebergs, all of that kind of stuff. Well, I haven't seen the doco, but I have seen your work. And I have to say, your work is beautiful. You're very clever. You're very good at what you do. So I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward well, to I can't it. Take, I can't take credit for the cinematography. That's a, a brilliant guy by the name of Dan Freen who's over in Perth doing a, um, a feature at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I did the editing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you did the editing. Okay. <laughs> so tell me, what's been your journey while you've been on this third rock from the sun? <laughs> I. Look, I, I kind of mentioned it a little bit at the start. I probably had a bit of an awakening when I was about 17. And I perceived, I had, you know, great Australian upbringing, like a classic suburban boy. I was very happy. And then I kind of got to about the age of 16 or 17 and I looked out at the world and I saw suffering. It's as simple as that. I couldn't really fundamentally understand why countries go to war. And what was even more interesting was that I challenged all of my classmates and my teachers about this and the friends and everybody I knew. And the constant refrain I got back to me was that it's human nature. And I just didn't believe that. I don't, and I don't believe it. I don't believe it is human nature. I believe it is a, a learned behavior. Yeah. When we separate ourselves from another person, it's natural that fear arises and when fear arises, it's natural to f want to, to feel competitive and it's natural to kind of become aggressive. That's what happens when you separate. If you don't separate from the people around you, it's not natural to feel aggressive. In fact, it's incredibly unnatural. Mm. When you feel connected to the person across the room from you, when you feel connected to the, you know, the dog walking past, the tree in the, in the park, you can't hurt those things. It just is extremely difficult to feel that desire to hurt. So I don't see it as human nature. I see it as a kind of corrupted corruption of human nature. And I see there's other forms of humanity that are just as possible and far more rewarding. So where did you go to discover this? I mean, what was the journey? Did you go sit in an ashram, cross-legged and meditate? Did you... Take ayahuasca. What did you do? Did you do yoga? Well, I strangely enough went and studied medicine for a year. And there the, you go. Re the, re <laughs> <laughs> the reason I studied medicine, it was so bizarre when I look back at it, but I thought there was going to be a nuclear war around about this time, in fact. And I thought we'd need doctors. You know? <laughs> I better be a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> So I did a year of medicine and then I thought, no, this is not quite for me. So I hitchhiked up north. A I, year. <laughs> a year in medicine, yeah. A year is enough. Um, I went up to Byron Bay yeah. and I met an incredible amount of group of people, in fact. In fact, it was back in the early 80s and these people had been travelling around the country, um, stopping the rainforest being, uh, the Daintree, and ra saving the Daintree rainforest, stopping the dams down in Tasmania. A whole group of young people had been travelling around Australia you know, stopping bad things happening. Tree huggers. Tree huggers. Yeah. And they all gravitated to Byron Bay and I just kind of like, you know, landed in the midst of them and it was Gasped through them. with the tree huggers. It's, everyone's got to spend at least a year with tree huggers. <laughs> <laughs> I thoroughly recommend it. Um, and that's really when I started to, to develop spiritually. And so then that was the start of my journey. And But it's interesting with the spiritual journey, you really need to, 
you can explore yourself, you can expand yourself, but you really need to, to meet people that have gone all the way, that have gone into awakening and know what that space is like. When you meet those people, they can take you into that space very quickly and so that's been my experience. Mm-hmm. So who did you meet? Come on, spill the beans. Well, I met... Um, names. Uh, what names? <laughs> <laughs> I met a, um, a group called the Oneness University. Uh, yep. So it's a, um, called Sri Amma Bhagavan. There's a, a couple over in in India and they they've brought awakening to the planet so there's a lot of Westerners going over there um, Tony Robbins these kind of people but musicians actors directors CEOs are going to India to have this experience of awakening and the experience is like what I talked about earlier it's it's about declutching from the human mind and when the mind is not dominating your experience you start to experience reality as it is so you start to experience the tree as treeness, you start to experience the cat as catness. And for me, that's just been an incredibly beautiful experience. I no longer feel like I have to strive or push or, or try too hard. I just feel more like I'm in a flow. There's a flow mm-hmm. happening around me. And and in fact, even the, the documentary came out of that flow. I had a question exactly. mark mm-hmm. question mark in August of 2014 about Adam Smith. And then uh, six months later, I found myself in a penguin colony getting the answers to my question. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I hear you, baby, I hear you. (laughs) That flow is delicious and I'm often in it and I'm often not. And when you're in it, it's exhilarating. It's exhilarating. It's just like you're, you're just like you're on the wave and you're just riding the wave of life. And it's effortless and it's fun. And then, you know, and then you fall off the wave and struggle to get back up. I mean, I, that's my experience anyway sometimes. And uh, I, so my, every conversation is about, you know, how to get back into the flow, how to get back into the flow. Yeah, I suppose the, look, I'll give you my little secret of mm-hmm. my understanding is that um, it's about acceptance. Mm. It's about accepting life as it is. The biggest actually, it's very interesting on the spiritual journey, when I started the spiritual journey i read everything in fact i had thousands of books and about seven years ago i gave them all away yeah because what i discovered is that there's so many books about enlightenment and it sounds like a really amazing experience so what we do is we construct a a perception about what enlightenment is and that perception has feelings associated to it and it has an idea that we might see light and this that and the other but that's a constructed reality. It's not the actual reality. And the trouble with that constructed reality is we start avoiding everyday life because we want that experience of enlightenment. So what I've discovered is that it's the opposite. We accept reality as it is, the simple day-to-day things. And the awakening is actually very simple and day-to-day. It's not a it's not a blinding light type experience. It's a simple day-to-day experience of I feel connected to the world around me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> One of my favourite teachers is Byron Katie. Yep. Have you heard of Byron? Yep. And I love the way she puts it. You know, she says, when you argue with reality, you lose, but only 100% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when you argue with what is, like, I'm sick and I shouldn't be sick or I'm poor and I shouldn't be poor. It's like, what if? (laughs) What if you should be? What if that's okay to be? And that's the shift in consciousness or in thinking that's so difficult for some because they know that they want something and it's not like 
what they want, but in order to get where you want to be, you have to be okay with where you are. And it's quite interesting. I would say it's actually human conditioning that's created this problem for us because all of our religions and, and society in general has come up with this idea of the ideal human being. And we put that ideal human being up in the air and we try and be that person and we can never be that person. And why can't we be that person? Because there's 7 billion of us on this planet and each one of us is completely different. So, it, but that's human conditioning and it's actually quite sad to be honest because it's 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 has created so much suffering, this idea that we need to be that person and not who we actually are. So if we reverse that and we just throw away the ideal and just say, yep, I am okay as I am, um, everything starts to fall into place after that. Mm. This is true. Wise words for a Saturday morning. How gorgeous. Aren't you pleased you tuned in to ATP Radio? Thank you so much for coming on the show it's been I think it's been an absolute pleasure I could talk to you all day you've got so many gorgeous things to say find out more about future dreaming go to future-dreaming.org to see the trailers they're absolutely beautiful I think people are experiencing the dissonance, or what Greg Bateson referred to as the double bind. They see a reality around them which is filled with natural beauty and wonder. They see whales and they see icebergs. They see the things around them that are really quite spectacular. And they see an order that underlies that, and it seems to make sense. Glaciers calve, and then there's more snow, and then there's something about it that just seems to make sense. And we see flowers opening and we see food being produced and we see so many things that seem to work. And then when we look at the mirror of humanity, we go, it doesn't seem like we're actually playing along that same system. Are we actually part of this thing or are we somehow separated from it? And that opens up some very painful spaces for people to try to explore. And most people will choose to avoid the pain of that exploration because the possibility exists that maybe we're doing this to ourselves. And we simply do not want to confront the possibility that maybe at the end of the day, we're responsible for why we don't look like we're isomorphic with the reality around us. Thanks for joining me for Accentuating the Positive. Hope you enjoyed the show. Please show us your love. Go to our Facebook page, Accentuate the Positive with Karen Swain, or Blissful Beings Reminders from Home. There will be lots of inspirational, delicious messages on there. Feeling stuck? Wanting some clarity about who you are and what's possible? Wanting to know how your talents make a difference in the world? Come and have a session with me, Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation. Through me, you'll speak to my guides. I call them blissful beings, and they will give you the answers that you're looking for. Call me 0414-321-432 or go to my website, karenswain.com, K-A-R-E-N-S-W-A-I-N. 
So if you want to check me out, go to karenswain.com and join our mailing list. See you next time. Bye for now. Clap along if you feel like that's